All right. Wasn't that great worship today? Thank you, worship team. You guys are wonderful. You do so much for us. Oh, I can really feel the spirit up here. Either that or I'm winded from those three steps. I don't know. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Lord, come Holy Spirit and fill this room. We pray that the same spirit that was on us during worship will be with us through this message and speak your voice to each person in the room, Lord, what they need to hear from you today. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Well, I promise I'll do a joke, but it's going to be a little later on in the sermon. Okay, so you'll have to wait, Brian. Sorry. We'll get, we'll get to it, though. Oh, you're leaving. Okay. So we're going to turn to Exodus 3 in a minute. So if you, those of you who like to turn in your Bibles, go ahead and find Exodus 3 now. It's toward the beginning. So I want to talk to you today about something that's uh, been percolating in my heart for a long time. You know, we at New Song and in the Charismatic Church live in a prophetic culture, don't we? So just as a demonstration, who here in this room has ever received a personal word of knowledge from somebody? Raise your hand if you've ever received one. So just look around. That's more than half of the room. And let's see. Who has ever had one of your personal words fulfilled? You received a word and then later it came true. Okay. Almost the same number. That's great. Who has had all your personal words fulfilled? Raise your hand if every single one of them has ever come true. Not yet. You guys are just like Saturday night. Not yet. You're still alive, right? So they're not all fulfilled yet. Okay. So I want to talk to you today about prophecy, waiting on God, and what to do when prophecies seem to go unfulfilled or take a long time. And I, the purpose of this message is to help you see your personal prophecies realized in full and to prevent anybody from becoming disillusioned if it seems like they are not. And for those of you who've never received a personal word, then you can just... Store this up in your mind and then apply it later when you get one. If you hang out with us long enough, you'll definitely get one. I got about six this morning from one person. So, <laughs> and they were all really good. All right, so I'm going to open up. Uh, actually, I told you Exodus 3, but before that, I'm going to do Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Does he promise and then not fulfill? So this verse is saying God does not change his mind when he makes a promise. You know, he's not like us. We change our minds sometimes. We get new information, and we change our mind based on that. There's a great quote from Churchill here. I don't want to mess it up, so I'm going to try to find where I put it here. Churchill said, uh, you know, he was accused of being inconsistent once in Parliament. And he said, when events change, I change my mind. What do you do? But God never gets new information because new facts don't come to light for somebody who is fact and is light. <laughs> Think about that. God is not an inconstant being. He's pretty much the ultimate in constancy. And he's never lacking all the facts. So there's no reason for him to change his mind about his promises to you. There are a few times in the Bible where it says God responded to their intercession and he changed his plans. But it's okay for God to respond to our prayers, and especially when he's probably the one that inspired them to pray that prayer in the first place. But in terms of his promises, he doesn't uh, repent of his promises. So we're going to turn to Exodus 3.16. God is talking to Moses out of the burning bush. I'm sure you've read this passage. Verse 16, he says this to Moses. Go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt, and I have promised to bring you up out of your misery 
in Egypt, into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. God tells Moses to tell the leaders of Israel he's giving them the promised land. If you've ever wondered why it's called the promised land, it's very simple. He promised. We like things that are simple from the Bible. I will do this. Okay? Pretty straightforward, right? Now think about this, and I'm sure some of you have already thought about this. Not one of those elders who received that message received that land. Unless their names were Joshua or Caleb, they were very young at this time. Not even Moses received that land. So, what do we do with that? Every one of that generation died in the desert. Their children received it. They did not. Are we reading an example here where God, who is unchanging and all-knowing, gave a promise which he knew when he made it he would not fulfill? Because you could, you could look at that and you could see it that way. Boy, what have I got myself into here? I'm going to have to dig myself out of this hole here that I've created for myself. I'm supposed to be defending the ways of God to man here, and I feel like I just got myself into something. Did God lie? I guess, can we question if God can be trusted? Some people might say, I guess human beings cannot and should not operate in the prophetic because we just mess things up and it all goes wrong. And I've heard people say that. What do you think? I'm seeing some frowns. A lot of people are thinking about this. Okay, you know, my friends, he gave them the promised land, and they refused it. He gave them that land, and they refused to walk in and take it. Read Numbers 14. We're not going to read the whole chapter. Numbers 13, Numbers 14. God cleared the way. It just didn't look like it. The Canaanites were still there. They were a large people. I was reading, I'm, I'm rereading a, a history of early American history, and it said the average American was two inches taller than his average European counterpart, or her average European counterpart. So the average American in the early 1800s was a whopping five foot six. The average American male, and that was two inches taller than the average European, <laughs> because they had such malnutrition, they were so short back then. So if they saw us today, we would be like giants to them. And these, these Canaanites were like giants. And Numbers 13.31, it says, the Israelites said, we can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. They made plans to stone Moses and to go back to slavery in Egypt. Fear is a poor counselor. So what's going on with these people? You know, they were perfectly willing to receive the promised land so long as there was no opposition, no difficulties, no visible obstacles. Then they would have walked in and taken the land. Or maybe if it was full of little people. Maybe if it was full of uh, hobbits. Maybe if this was a shire, then they would have walked in and taken the land. But those gigantic Canaanites in what God had decreed in the heavenly realms were defeated. They just didn't see it with their visible eyes. George Washington once called God, I love this, the all-wise dispenser of events. Such a great phrase. In God's all-wise dispensation of events, the land was theirs. The Canaanites were done. They just had to have a mustard seed-sized faith when they walked in. 
you know, when we look at the Battle of Jericho, which took place with the next generation, it was literally a matter of placing one foot in front of another. God says, step, okay, go. Step, okay, now you're crossing the Jordan. Step, now you're walking around the city. Now shout, okay, the walls come tumbling down, it's done. It was just a matter of walking in, and that was their first battle. After that, they did have to do some fighting, but it was the same thing. God was with them as long as they were in obedience to him. What can we learn from this? We today, just like them, same thing. We always step into our prophetic fulfillment by faith. We always step in by faith. Unbelief, our unbelief, does not stop God from fulfilling a prophecy on his end. But it will stop us from fulfilling it on our end. And we could switch unbelief for disobedience. They're almost exactly the same thing. Disobedience, our disobedience will not stop God from fulfilling a prophecy on his end. But our disobedience can stop us from stepping into it on our end. We step into prophetic fulfillment by faith. Okay. To introduce a word that some, someone might not know, corollary is a truth that logically flows from another truth. A corollary. So, for instance, if I like bacon, the corollary is I'm going to go to the store and buy bacon and cook it and eat it. And that is a true statement, and the one flows from the other logically in a grand cycle of gastronomical glory. So the corollary of the statement, we step into prophetic fulfillment by faith, is that your personal words that you've received about how God wants to use you in your life assumes that you will step into those words by faith. The personal words you've received assumes that you will step into those words by faith. God will do it on his end. Okay. So, we just looked at an example of people who receive a prophetic word and then don't step into it. Now I want to look at somebody who did the right thing. And I love the example of Peter in the Bible. So we're going to look at Matthew 16, 18. And Jesus gives a personal prophetic word. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. You know, his name wasn't Peter. Did you know that? His name was Simon. Peter just means rock, Petros, literally rock. So Jesus says to him, I tell you, you are rock, and on this rock I will build my church. That's what Peter heard. What a great identity builder Jesus was and is. Now, does the fulfillment of that word require Peter to do anything? In other words, if Peter spent the rest of his life sitting around on his thumbs in fear and unbelief, would that word have come true for him? It would not. You're right. You know, we learned from the burning bush incident that fulfilling prophecy still requires us to take a step of faith. If Peter had never stepped out in faith, he never would have entered that personal promised land. And we know that Peter had a fight with Satan to see this word fulfilled. As soon as this word was given, hell had a plan to resist it. Satan asked to sift you like wheat, Jesus told Peter. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. He's going to put you through the ringer on this because he, he's targeting you because you are chosen to be used in the kingdom. And the devil only shoots at live game. So, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, Peter, the one who's called the rock, fell away with all the others. And what's more, he denied Christ three times. All the others just ran away the one time. Peter 
denied Christ three times, and everybody knew it. So what does the devil do with that when we fail? What does the devil do when we fail? Shame, unworthiness, failure, fraud. The enemy will happily build your identity around all your faults and failures if you let him. Don't listen to that voice. That voice is not God. He does that for a reason. To prevent you from stepping out in faith and fulfilling your prophetic destiny. So Peter went out and he wept bitterly, it says, bitterly. You can just imagine him sobbing. After Jesus' resurrection, he returned to fishing. Even though Jesus said, you are now to be a fisher of men, a fisher of people. He returned to fishing for fish. He, he went down, he demoted himself to the lesser calling. And the Bible tells us a story of him not even being able to catch any fish until Jesus came. So you can just imagine Peter sitting there in the boat, looking at the empty nets. And you can imagine all the words the devil would speak over him. How are you any better than Judas? Didn't you also betray the Lord? You weakling, you coward. The devil uses these sorts of words to attack us. And these are hard days for Peter. He could have wallowed in that shame and self-reproach for the rest of his life. And sadly, many Christians do this. Then he would have been unfruitful, and his prophetic destiny would never have been fulfilled. So, of all people, the people who did the, the biggest favor for Peter in this crisis for him is the Pharisees, if you can believe that. They did Peter a huge favor in Acts chapter 4. They arrested him. You remember the story of the, the blind man that he healed? And then he went and preached the gospel in Acts 4 in the, in the temple. And the Sanhedrin were like, what the heck is going on here? And they arrested him. And it says this. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that they had been with Jesus. So, <laughs> redemption. Street cred restored, honor restored, self-respect restored. Peter stood up this time and didn't run away. And what's the first thing he did when they, when they released him? What would you do if you <laughs> start preaching? Well, it says that they went and told all their friends what had happened. They went back and told everybody, yeah, we were arrested, but it was no biggie. Just a, another event in the life of an apostle. <sighs> I love that. That was a great day for Peter. God gave him a chance to redeem himself. And the reason I relate that story in Acts 4 is because you'll note that that came after Acts 2. Acts 2, the Pentecost, the start of the Christian age, came before Peter had his identity restored. It came before he had a chance to redeem himself. And on that day, it was the first day Peter began to fulfill the prophetic word Jesus spoke over him in Matthew. Peter stood up. You know the story that the Holy Spirit came. They were all praying in the room. Tongues of fire appeared over their heads. They all started speaking in tongues. A crowd gathered. And Peter stood up. Despite all the attacks of the enemy on his identity, he stood up. And he preached a fiery sermon that was full of the Holy Spirit. He preached the gospel. And it says 3,000 people got saved that day. That's a growth rate from 120 to 3,000. That's, I did the math, not mentally. 2,500% growth rate in one day. That's pretty good. Imagine if your, stock, if your stocks and investments grew by that. That's a pretty good investment. So, make no mistake, Jesus' word to Peter was fulfilled that day, and it was because Peter stepped out in faith. It was in the midst of everybody around him. All of his friends knew 
that he had denied the Lord three times. And he could have sat back in shame and said, oh, I'm not worthy to be the one to stand up and preach the gospel today. But he did it anyway, and God used him powerfully. And then God set him up in Acts 4 to have a chance to redeem himself, which he did. God is a great builder of our identities. So, thank God that Peter did not wallow in shame. But if he had, because it was possible that he would have, what would have happened to this prophecy Jesus spoke over him if he had not stepped out in faith? Well, there are several possibilities. Things, I think, would have worked out differently if he had refused to step out in faith. One possibility, when we, when we indulge in unbelief, is the prophetic word simply gets delayed. For instance, if you miss your turn on your GPS, it will reroute you, and instead of taking one turn, you go three, and it gets you back there. So Peter could have missed it that day, and then the Lord would have delayed things, and he could have come back around to preaching that sermon in a few days or a few weeks. That's one possibility. But we don't want our calling delayed, do we? Another possibility, sometimes God won't delay, and instead... The role of the called individual gets reduced. Okay, you're not going to do what I asked you to do, then someone else is going to do it. I'll give you this smaller role, and maybe you'll do that. I'm going to give you as big of a role as, as you're willing to accept. I'm not going to force you to do anything. So that's a possibility, and that does happen sometimes. Maybe with Peter, John would have given the other half of the sermon. You can see all sorts of possibilities. Or if there's absolute refusal, like the children of Israel in the desert, no, we're not going in, we're going to stone you, we're going to go back to slavery in Egypt, then they just miss it. They chose that. God did everything he could, but they chose rejection. So we step into our prophetic destiny only by faith. Okay. All right. Moving on. Now I want to look at another kind of person. And this is a different kind of prophecy, different kind of person. Sometimes God fulfills the prophecy anyway, despite our lack of faith. Really? Yeah, he does. Sometimes God just does it anyway, despite the recipient's lack of faith. And there's lots of examples of this in the Bible. I want to focus on one, though, the story of Jonah. You know, God can't be boxed in. He was going to see Nineveh saved through Jonah, and he made it happen. He forced it. And uh, Jonah, as the unbelieving fulfiller of this prophecy never really thrived in the whole book he never really thrives and that's what happens when we step in and grudgingly fulfill our destiny grudgingly obey him with a grumpy heart god will use us anyway but we never really thrive and we'll be miserable in the midst of that and that's what happened to jonah so let's look at the story of jonah he had this very fishy attitude he has some thoughts that deserve to be thrown overboard Okay, so I promised you a joke. I saw this joke about Jonah. There's a little girl, and she's in a class with an unbelieving teacher. And the teacher tells her, you know, the story of Jonah can't be true. Because what we know about whales now is that, yes, they have big mouths, but they have tiny little throats, and they could never swallow a full-sized man. It's physically impossible. And the little girl says, well, it must be true. It's in the Bible. And the teacher says, it's physically impossible. And the little girl's just not going to accept that. She says, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jonah how it did happen. And the teacher kind of had a mocking smile. What if Jonah went to hell? The little girl says, well, then you can ask him. 
By the way, it wasn't a whale anyway. It was a big fish. So that's how that worked out. So Jonah received a word that he was being sent to Nineveh to preach there that they had to repent or the city would be destroyed. That was his prophetic word. But our dear friend Jonah never bought into his assignment, the whole book. The whole book, he never buys into this assignment. Even after the whale experience, or the big fish, I should say, he never bought into this. And you'll see that he did obey, finally, but he was a grump about it. He went in and preached the sermon, repent or in 40 days God's going to destroy the city. Okay, done. Check that box off. I did what God told me to do. Didn't want to, but I did it. And then it says he went out to the, outside the city, and he sat on, in the shade. He was real happy about this shade. And he watched and waited for the city to be destroyed. But the problem was that they repented at his preaching. And so God said, okay, they repented. I'm not going to destroy the city. And when the time passed, Jonah saw the city was not destroyed, and he was mad about it. He says this, this is why I tried to flee to Tarshish. I knew you were a compassionate and gracious God. <laughs> he didn't want his assignment to even work out. Nineveh was the enemy of Israel, so he's feeling a little bit grumpy about Nineveh. Grumpiness about God's will for our lives only stems from unbelief about his kind nature. Every assignment from God is designed to bring you joy. To the, to the person being used, God is trying to bring joy through the fulfillment of your prophetic destiny. You know who suffered the most in history? Who bore the weight of all of our sins? Jesus suffered the most in history. You know who had the most joy in human history? Jesus, the one who perfectly rejoiced always, which is God's will for us. So the one who suffered the most had the most joy because of his perfect faith. So yes, there's going to be sufferings as you fulfill your destiny. There's going to be obstacles, but there's also going to be great joy if you have the right attitude. Don't be like Jonah. For Jonah... God insisted on fulfilling his word, and Jonah did fulfill it, but he had a heck of a time, didn't he? He was miserable the whole time. He was miserable before, during the storm. He was miserable while he was preaching, and then he was mad. By the way, God has, God has a sense of humor. He had the shade that Jonah was so happy about shrivel up. <laughs> then Jonah was mad about that. So Jonah spends the whole book grumpy, and he was made. it should have been a joyful experience for him to be the one God used to save a huge city, hundreds of thousands of people saved because of his ministry, and he was grumpy the whole time. We're not going to be like that, are we? All right, I've been sharing from Scripture three examples of prophetic destiny, but now I want to share a little from my own experience. I've probably received, I would say, over 100 prophetic words in the 41 years I've been part of the charismatic church, going back to when I was born. People just come up and give you words around here, and you're going to get one whether you like it or not. So I would say that there were times when I was like Jonah and had a hard time, and there were years when I wished I, w I would never have gotten a prophecy. So I want to quickly share that story with you guys. So those who have known me a long time know that uh, in my late 20s, I had a dream of being an author, and I was aware that that was a long shot. Everybody dreams something big when they're young. You want to be a sports star. You want to be a rock star. You want to be a movie star. Well, my dream was to be an author, and I didn't want to let myself hope for this and have it not to get fulfilled. So I began to cautiously write a book, but I kept telling myself, don't get your hopes up. Just, just do this, and if it doesn't work out, you'll be okay. But don't think this is going to happen. Don't take it for granted, for, for, for one thing. So I began to ask God, can you talk to me about this? If this is a waste of time, tell me, and let me know before I spend all this time writing this book so that I can not waste my time on this. 
And when I knew I would be getting a prophetic word the next day, like we used to schedule appointments, I would ask the Lord, let them say something to me about whether I should write this book. Well, I was going to have coffee when I was 29 with Mary Vaughn. She said she wanted to share some words with me. And so I said, Lord, let Mary Vaughn tell me about whether I should write this book or not. And she didn't know I was writing a book. So the first thing she said to me when I sat down was, God wants to encourage you in your writing. I thought, wow, how did she know that? And then, this is the crazy thing, she said, he says you should have the word dragon in the title. Here's the book. I had already chosen the title, The Dragon's Fury. It's a fantasy fiction. I had already chosen that title. To me, that was like the biggest miracle I've ever experienced, that, that God told her that I should have the word dragon in the title. And she said, God says you should write a sequel. And she gave me a bunch of other words. But all that I really heard was from the, about the book. And I left that meeting thinking, oh, right, I can't believe God is really going to do this. I'm so excited, and it seemed too good to be true. But that wasn't all. We had a team come down from Albany. My dad's good friend, Danny Klein, brought a team from Jesus Pursuit Church. They knew nothing about me. They didn't know I was his son, or they didn't know my, even know my name. But they were giving prophetic words, and I signed up. They said, oh, we see you writing books, like C.S. Lewis. It's going to be like, um, not necessarily overtly Christian, but just good lessons for how people should live, and people will benefit from your writing. And that was exactly what I was doing. So to me, that was just like, all right, God, you've really, really given me miraculous words that there's no way that that wasn't a coincidence. I didn't tell them I was writing a book and ask, should I do this? Oh, yeah, yeah, you should do this. They brought it up themselves. So another person told me, they had me sign a signature, and it was a prophetic act. They said, you're going to be famous. And I got many other words of success. Well, I was beyond excited, as you can imagine. And um, I began to write more ardently. I got up at four in the morning before I would go sub, substitute teach, and I would write for a few hours. And I was so excited when I finally finished the book. I sent it off to about 12 publishers, and I wondered whether all of them were going to want to publish my book or just half of them. I didn't know, six, eight, ten, maybe all 12. I waited, I checked my mail, checked my email every day. A week passed, two weeks, a month, two months, and it was just nothing. No response. Not even a rejection letter. Just, I thought they could at least send me a rejection letter. But I didn't know what to make of this. God, what are you doing? How could every publisher have rejected the book when you promised me success? So I tried again, a dozen more publishers. And I resent it to some of the same ones. In fact, one that I really wanted, I sent it so many times that I realized that they had marked me as spam. <laughs> that was a low moment. So I spent two or three years, late 20s, early 30s, feeling betrayed by God that he had made such extravagant promises to me about the book and then not fulfilled them. And uh, finally, in desperation, I self-published. This is self-published. And then my hopes soared back again. The book started selling like crazy on Kindle, the, the e-reader. Uh, the paperback book cost like 16 so nobody wanted to buy it. But on Kindle, it was only $5. And so I started getting dozens of sales a day and then hundreds of sales a day. And one day I sold 200 books, 200 copies in one day. And I thought, okay, the prophecies are coming true. This is it. This is what God was talking about. So I quit subbing and I was like, I'm just going to write full time. This is going to be my life. Then the sales started to go down. So I had to go back to subbing some. But it was okay, just one or two days a week. Then I can write. And the sales kept going down. And then one terrible day, there were no sales the entire day. And just nothing. It was like someone had turned off a spigot and it was just done. I might get one or two sales a week from then on, but it was like it, it was over. 
And again, I didn't know what to make of that. God, I thought you promised me I was going to be famous. You know, I was supposed to be this rich author. I had it all worked out in my head. I was going to be rich and famous, and I was going to have this log home up in the hills, and I might deign to come down to the Rogue Valley once a month to do some ministry, but otherwise I was just going to be this aloof author. And that was how it was in my head. And, and it was hard. It was hard to, to go for, you know, if, if God had just said nothing, I would have taken the hint and not felt that I had to write the book. But the fact that he gave me such lavish words that were miraculous. I mean, there was no way that Mary would know to have Dragon in the title. She didn't know I was writing the book. That was from God. So how do, you, how do you go from having God give you a promise like that and then have it not work out the way you think it should? And that's what I want to talk to you today, because a lot of you have words that you're wondering, what's, what's with this word I got? So looking back on my young self from the Olympian heights of my current wisdom, I can tell you that I systematically ignored all the parts of the, of the prophetic words that I did not like. And I had to look back, and God had to remind me some of the stuff. For instance, I now remember when Mary told me um, the name, I should have the word dragon, the title, and all that. She also held a finger up in front of my face and said, look at me, but you have to be willing to serve him. And I was like, oh yeah, I, I'll, I'll evangelize once a month or a few times a year. Okay, yeah. But she also said it should be tent making. Paul was a tent maker, and that was just extra money that he made, but he was mostly a minister. And I realized that in my mind, looking back, to me, the author dream was a way of escaping, like Jonah, from a calling that made me nervous. And I think God gave me as, as much blessing with the book as he could without it becoming an obstacle to what he wanted to do with my life. And I also think that if I had been willing to see it as tent-making, like, like he told me, <laughs> he, did, he told me exactly this, that he would have given me even more sales. But if I had... I, I do believe that if he had given me more sales, I would have broken my promise to, to serve him with my life. And so he, I actually, through not listening to what he was saying, got in the way of the prophetic word. And so I wanted to share that with you because I think we need wisdom. And we need to ask God what's going on. And I didn't ask him. I just kind of charged ahead with what I wanted. And he gave me as much as he could. And looking back, you know... There was about $20,000 that came in over the course of a few years in sales. I think he gave me my money's worth for the effort I put in. And he was faithful. That's actually pretty, that's actually a miracle. Because a lot of people write books and they don't make money off of them. So I feel like he was faithful to the prophetic words that he gave me. And to what degree it didn't match my dreams. It was because I wasn't listening to what he was saying. And I let myself get in the way. Does that make sense? Okay. So. The lesson I hope we can all gain from this example is, one, I want to talk to prophets, those of you who give prophetic words to people. So I think that when we ask for a word for someone, we need to not forget to ask for from the Lord and lovingly share with them what could get in the way of these prophetic words. Oftentimes we give words that are best case scenarios if the person will step out in faith. And the person thinks, okay, great, that's going to happen. And, but they uh, are not... Uh, overcoming whatever is in their hearts that uh, is holding them back. And Jesus said to Peter, here's your prophetic destiny. You're going to be the rock on which I build my church. But be warned, Satan wants to sift you. You see what I'm saying? There was a warning there for him to help him overcome what was going to be thrown at him. So when we give prophetic words, we need to ask, what do I need to tell this person to help them overcome 
what the enemy is going to throw at them so they can step into their full destiny, not a partial fulfillment, not a delayed fulfillment. You see what I'm saying? Okay. When you get a word, always take it before the Lord. Ask him to sanctify your imagination. He gave you an imagination so that you could dream with him and so that you could get excited about what he wants to do with you. But we need to not be rigid and unyielding in how it has to be. Get an idea in your head. This is how it has to turn out. And then when it doesn't turn out that way, God, what did you do? Remember that uh, in Jesus' day, they were expecting the Messiah to come because of prophecy. And the prophecies were all accurate and they were all fulfilled, but they all missed it. Why was that? Because in their minds, they had an idea of what it had to look like. It had to be a warrior king. And what they got instead was a baby. And so they missed it. And the baby ended up being way better than what they were imagining. But because they said it has to be like this, they missed it. So when you have prophetic words, be open that you don't know what it's going to look like when it's fulfilled. Ask the Lord for wisdom as he guides you through this. God is like a, a parent who wants to walk with you and talk with you and guide you through these processes. So we need to not wait around for it to happen and then get grumpy and disillusioned when it doesn't happen. And one more thing, if you have a huge word that you're excited about, that's big, don't just wait for that. Be willing to do the small things now. Be willing to do the humble things now because it's through faithfully doing the small things and the humble things that you get to the big things. Okay. Thank you, Jesus. So I'm going to end with a verse that I believe will be a beacon of light and hope to you as it is to me as we all navigate our lives and our callings and our prophetic destinies. This is Romans eleven twenty nine. For the gifts and call of God are irrevocable. Irrevocable means it cannot be taken back. So for you, the gifts and call of God for you are irrevocable. He will never change his mind about you. Thank you. Don't get grumpy and disillusioned if it doesn't happen just like you. So that's a good one to remember the title of and look back again as you evaluate prophetic words. And I know some of you have, haven't had um, the experience of prophetic ministry over your life yet. And it's, you're think, you've, all, you've just thought in terms of the prophetic as being Bible prophecy about end times. Well, God has personal destiny words for us as well that are really inspiring. But as David so, so aptly um, taught us that they have to be handled right, don't they? Let's stand up right now. I want to especially pray, I want us to agree in prayer for those that this message talked to in a very significant way about some, some words over your life that um, you've been trying to sort out. We close our eyes right now and would you just raise your hand up and leave it up for a few moments. I'm not going to call you forward or anything, I'm just going to pray a blessing. You're just saying, Dan, this is, this is helping me right now. I'm going to, yeah, about a dozen or so. We do agree in Jesus' name that for these, with their hands up, God, we stand in agreement for them that those prophetic words are going to be realized, but they're going to be realized your way and your timing 
and we're not going to get grumpy and disillusioned if, it, if they don't work out exactly like we have in mind that they're going to work out. So we bless these words, and we declare and bless the prophetic uh, words over everyone over New Song, in New Song Church and our family and friends and, and uh, those watching on TV today, those watching on the YouTube channel, everybody, God, within earshot of, what, of my voice right now, David's voice earlier, that your blessing would be on the prophetic. It would thrive in our midst in a positive, positive way. And in a way that doesn't sabotage our amazing, blissful, present tense contentment. <laughs> amen and amen in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're not connected to Jesus yet, you, know, you don't know for sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're going to go to heaven. I want you to come up to the... Uh, this altar area and we'll have a that uh, pastoral care team come on up here uh, Cheryl's team and and if you if you don't know that they, they'll help you pray a prayer that will bring certainty into your life and help you with that if you need healing in any area of your life body soul or spirit you'd like you'd like some heaven therapy you'd like the presence of the spirit to come from heaven into your body into your life any miracle you're looking for, let us take a few moments to stand in agreement with you for those, those needs. Okay? Yeah. And finally, before I say, uh, let you go, I want to just say, I should have mentioned this earlier, but today uh, it marks the day that Brenda Mickelson has put up with me for 45 years. Yeah. 45th wedding anniversary today. So we're, our hearts are filled with gladness today. Praise God. So. Yeah, God bless you. Have a great day. Have a great week. We'll see you next time.